Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. It's an impressive crew. You can give them some more love. Thanks, buddy. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. Every time we do these, I think there, you know, there won't be that many kids. Like, it has to slow down at some point. But no, they just keep coming. Uh, It's beautiful. And we do want to continue to pray uh, for these families and to jump in and be part of their lives. Uh, And there's so many ways to do that. One of the things that you received when you came in today was this impact report, and Jeff sort of uh, called your attention to it. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of information in there. We, have, we are wrapping up today is the last day to do the survey. Uh, we've received about 950 surveys back. It might be more than that by now. So there's a good chunk of our congregation that has filled them out. But if you haven't, there's still time to do that, and you can fill out the survey on our website, idcpdx.com. But you get certain pictures of that. So what you have here, and I'll just give it to you briefly, and we'll come back to it. Next week, we'll start uh, a new series going through the book of Acts and really asking the question, what does it mean to be the church, to be uh, followers of Jesus? And Acts gives us this beautiful picture uh, it's, the, it's Pentecost Sunday, and so we'll celebrate that by looking at the very first Pentecost. But in there you see our budget, and this is uh, for, just for Central City. And the reality is it's, uh, it shows you the breakdown of the budget. As we go into June, this is our last month in the fiscal year, and we, are, we need $760,000 to make budget this month, which is a big number. Uh, we've talked about throughout the year that, that we've been behind, we've made cuts, we'll be able to lower the budget next year, and we don't believe that we'll have to cut any staff positions. There are some things that we won't be able to do, like uh, the courtyard, we want to remodel outside there for sort of the community, and we will, we'll have to put that off, and some other things that but the core of the ministry, we don't believe, will be impacted. At the same time, we, we ask that you would, first of all, just pray. Pray that God would provide it. He's provided for so many years, and we've uh, made it this far. I, I tr- we trust that he'll provide again. And then would you prayerfully consider what you can do to help meet budget this year as we enter this last month On the back of that page is a demographics. It gives us just a brief, based on what we had a couple weeks ago, uh, a breakdown. We'll be able to update that. But you can see kind of our age breakdowns, uh, gender as well as marital status and geography. Uh, They talk about what, what jobs are predominantly represented. There's an article in there about being invited to church. 47% of you said you got to Imago because a friend invited you. So that just means that people will come if you invite them. Let you know that. 47% of you got here that way. Uh, some attendance numbers. One thing to note, 
We have 200 kids here every Sunday at Imago Day uh, Central and about 60 at East Side. So, I mean, that's almost, uh, that's a pretty good-sized church without any adults whatsoever. Um, thankfully, we do have 135 adults that serve with our kids, so they just aren't all in the gym waiting for you to come back. Um, but we always need some help there. So I'll let you read the rest of that. There's some great highlights in there, uh, some, some quotes from the mayor. One of the things that when we started Imago, we asked the question, what would it look like to be a church that if we ever disappeared, the city would miss us? Uh, not the people that show up at the church, but would the city, would the community around us miss us? The truth is, uh, a lot of people might not miss us at all because of the parking situation. Um, they'll be like, oh, there's more parking. But would they really tangibly feel like there's something missing in Portland? And some of the beautiful quotes from the mayor and some other people in there to show that not only is Imago, but, but many, many other churches are making an impact in Portland, Portland notices. And so I want you to be able to celebrate what God has done through this community. You'll also see that we gave close to over $300,000 away this year to global work, to local work, and to other organizations outside of our community. Now, some people might think, why would you do that when you're, you're not meeting budget? And the truth is, if we hadn't given that money, maybe we'd be closer to meeting budget. But the reality is that Christ called us to live generous lives, not when we have abundance, but all the time. And so we continue to follow his model and his pathway, which means we have to be generous no matter what and trust that God will give us what we need. And so enjoy that, celebrate that. There's more information for all this stuff on the back, and we'll be giving you more information in a few weeks as the weeks go by uh, through the Acts series as well as we get all these surveys pulled together. So many of you filled them out, and I appreciate that. All right, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about these three images that Christ, that, that Paul tells us that, that we are as the church. Okay, And he uses three pictures. He says the church is a city, that's one picture, a house or a home, a household is a second picture, and a temple is the third picture. Now, I don't know when you walk into here that you feel like you entered a city or that you really feel at home. Some of you do, uh, some of you don't. Many of you have gotten connected beyond Sunday. That's so important when you hear these stories up here of people going, man, I don't think we could have made it without our home community, without our friends rallying around us. It's because they moved past Sunday and they built these relationships and they're experiencing that sense of home. And yet, there's something bigger that Paul means when he uses the word home. And the third one is temple. That somehow this becomes the place, us, where God dwells. And when we're connected and when we're gathered together, we are this holy temple. So if you look at verse 19, here's how he puts it. He says, consequently, 
You are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives. Paul paints this very vivid picture for them. And it's a picture that says, you all, this group of people that are gathered to worship today, he says, something has happened. And because that has happened, there has been a consequence. And the effect of what has happened is that this group of people, diverse, probably lots of disagreements that we would have on lots of different issues, but that this wild group of people has been brought together, given the same citizenship, become brothers and sisters of the same household. They are actually the physical location of God's Holy Spirit, and when they're all together, there is this holy temple rising where God dwells. And that's happening to you too. And it's all being held together by Jesus. So what he's saying is that this all is just a consequence of something. Something that Jesus has done. And I think it's so important that we remember that. When we think of church, when we think of I go to church, it's hard for us as good Americans to not think about church as an organization. Right? And I go to this church and they do these things and they do these things and I wish they did these things and they do these things really good and these ones are really bad. But, right? Like, and, and it's just sort of all that we are. And we got the surveys and we know and we know we need to do better at a whole bunch of things. This isn't to write that off. But what I want to do is to submit ourselves to the Holy Scriptures and to ask the question what in the world is the church, anyways? Right? What is this thing? And Paul says, no, it's, it's, a, it's a new city. It's a new place where the kingdom displays itself and you are citizens of that kingdom. It's this home where you share siblingship with each other. You share one father, many brothers and sisters. Right? And no, it's a temple Something that Christ has done has made it so. And so we want to go back into earlier into chapter 2 and ask, what has he done? So go all the way to the first verse of the chapter. And this is Paul as he speaks to this church in Ephesus. A church that would have had lots of diversity in it, though it wasn't a large church. He says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying cravings of the flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so he leads with sort of like something that's not super flattering. Like, before Christ did anything, this is who we were. And you're like, man, that, that's not true. 
right? Like, I wasn't that bad. I had a lot going for me, frankly. And what Paul is doing is saying that, that for many of us, when church is just a thing within the thing, we haven't really captured our essence. He's saying apart from Jesus, we were all stuck and without hope, yeah. right? And, and when he talks about the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are... He's talking not simply about behaviors, but he's saying that there is a dead ideology, a dead desire, dead thoughts, dead, dead understandings of the world. And for most of us, we have put our hope at one time or another in these dead things. Because we ourselves have nowhere else to go with our hope. And so when we think, well, I'm, I'm really hopeful that this will come to pass, this political idea, this political party, and we push ourselves into it, and we're supposed to be citizens of this culture, but the reality is that the things that divide us oftentimes come from that spirit of the ruler of the air and not from who Christ is. What Paul wants them to see is that before we had any opinions on every, anything, we were brought together not because we had the right ideas, not because we had earned it, and not because we had deserved it. What brings us together is because when God looks down at us in this helpless state, verse 4 says, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we weren't paying attention. It's by grace that you've been saved. And not only saved, but God raised us up with, God, with Christ and seated us in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming days he can show off his incomparable riches of his grace. He wants to express his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So essentially we're enemies of God. We're separated from God. We can't really even turn to God. We're, we're sort of helpless in this. But God looks down at us and he feels love and compassion. And Christ comes to rescue and to save us. We don't just need a little forgiveness. We need to be transferred into a new kingdom. We need to become citizens of a new world with a new Savior and a new hope. And so it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and even the faith was a gift of God. When Paul looks at where we have been as a people, and he looks at where we are now. He says the main thing that you got to keep the main thing all the time is that we are who we are because of who he is and what he's done because Christ, by his grace, has saved us. And that is a grace that covers any and every sin. 
I, ironically, we're happy that it, we, we kind of know that it covers our sins. We're just not sure that His grace covers the sins of the people that we struggle with. Like, I don't know if He covers those sins, though, right? Like, he, He's mine, but he's, maybe hesitantly He wants to cover your sin. But if you could get it together. And we tend to, to get into these ruts and patterns of thinking, but those are dead patterns, Those are dead thoughts. What divides us has been buried, and what unites us has resurrected. And so we come here as the people who need Jesus. That is the only prerequisite. And because of God's handiwork, it says that we were saved by grace, and this is not of ourselves it's a gift of God's not by works so that no one can boast and yet when it comes to going how should we live this out one of the things that Paul ran into in every church was that every church was boasting that they had figured it out better than the other church and there were people within the church that were boasting against other people in the churches that they were doing Christianity better than they were and most of what Paul's doing is in the New Testament is trying to drag us back over and over to go, are you completely lost? Are you not paying attention? The grace that God saved you with is the grace that He saved them with, is the grace that they saved Him with, and that is the grace that holds us together. Which means not only can we receive this salvation by faith through grace, but we can extend that grace to one another. I mean, the the banner over the church is supposed to be grace, right? And that grace is supposed to be extended to one another, not by our own effort, but because we are enamored with what Jesus is doing. And when we see what he's doing, we want to do it too. We want to follow who Jesus is and who He has made us to be, which means we extend this grace and this love to each other. We repent of our sins to one another. We forgive one another. And we worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So God did this amazing thing and brought this incredible salvation. And many of you in this room have experienced that salvation. If you have a Jesus that's different than this, then you don't have the Jesus of the Gospels. But the Jesus of the Gospels recognizes our helplessness, but in His mercy, His kindness, His grace, He came after us and He rescued us. And then he took all these people that he rescued, you and I and the Ephesians and the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says to them in verse 12, he says, I want you to remember, don't ever forget, don't forget the time where you were far away. Don't forget the time where you were separated from Christ. Do you remember that time? And some of you, it's a struggle because you were raised in church. You're like, I don't know. I've been, I think I've been in there the whole time. But without Christ, where would you be? And if you think you'd be fine, then you don't know the Jesus that, that is given to us in the Bible. 
Therefore, remember what it was to be separated from Christ, excluded from His citizenship with Israel, foreigners to the covenants and the problem, without hope, without God in the world. He says, don't forget where you were, but, but now. And anytime you hear Paul say, but now, you know something good's coming. And what's good is probably not going to be about us, but it's going to be about Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, that rescue, that salvation, that citizenship, and that household, everything that's been given to us came not just by Him wiping it away, but by Him sacrificing Himself so that both your forgiveness and your vengeance can be taken to the cross. Both your transgressions and the, the victimization that you've suffered can be taken to the cross. This world is so broken and twisted, but he took it all into himself on the cross and reconciled it. And so when he looks out at us now, Paul tells us in 14, Jesus... This Jesus that I've just been describing, He Himself is our peace. He made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. He's saying that all the walls and the temple, the temple that, that the Jewish temple in the Old Testament had walls that separated all the groups. The Gentiles were behind this wall. The women were behind this wall. The lepers were behind that wall. The men were at this wall. Then there were the priests. And Paul comes and says, all those walls have been destroyed. Everybody can go into the Holy of Holies. We all have access to one Father by one Spirit through one Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you look at your neighbor and you think, when will I ever have peace with this brother or sister? You won't, as long as you think you can create that peace. But Jesus is your peace. And if Jesus is your peace, you can sit together, you can negotiate, you can forgive, you can pray, you can get to reconciliation. But the peace that the world gives is never going to end in true peace. Paul says that this bringing together of all these people in Jesus, in verse 15, 16, he says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. And out of the two, he would make peace in one body and to turn all these groups back to God. It's this beautiful picture of of the world that's like chaotic and we're all fighting each other. We're all finding something to separate from each other over. And Jesus comes and he absorbs all of that hostility and all of that sin, that transgression, that death. And he takes it into his body and he literally is sacrificed for it. And then he collects everybody back to himself by his Spirit. He says, yes, I'm going to 
to take on the sin and the brokenness of the world, but I'm also going to bury it and I'm going to overcome it through resurrection and I'm going to send you my resurrection spirit so that you all now belong to me. I'm going to gather you together to be one new humanity in his body. And so he says to us, for those who were far away or those who were near, for through Jesus we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. So this is true for all of us. This is true of you. If you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled back to God and we all have been made to have one Father and one Spirit and one Lord. We've been turned back to God and Jesus is our peace. Is that the Jesus that you know? Is that the Jesus that you believe in? Is that the Jesus that you would say, He is my rescuer, He is my forgiver, He is my leader, and He is my hope? Because if you have that Jesus, and that is the Jesus that Scripture gives us, then you have everything you need to be what He says next in 19-22, through 22, to be citizens of this kingdom. To be the household of God. To be the temple of God. He says, consequently, you are no longer strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people, also members of His household. My friend Celestine was with me this weekend. Celestine was from Rwanda and runs ministry. He's been at Imago before. And he was telling me the story that that many of his uh, brothers and sisters in Kenya are working to bring citizenship to all the tribes. And it, it was sort of a big thing in Kenya that, that there were certain tribes who wouldn't be given citizenship, which means no education, no jobs, those sorts of things. And they went into this tribe, uh, into the bush with this tribe of pygmy uh, people, and as he, he, he brought them their citizenship, they actually became citizens. And the tribe, the chief, said, I want to go into the city so I can thank Jesus who sent you. And he walked into the alarm offices and says, I need to meet with Jesus. I am here to say thank you. And literally the lady said, he's not in right now. <laughs> And they began to share the gospel with them. But all of a sudden, this people, and there's a church now being built in the village because their neighbors became friends and they brought them this gift of citizenship, which is really necessary. Paul is saying that's been given to you. Just as they were joyful for the first time they could get jobs, for the first time their kids can go to school, all these things. But you have been given a greater citizenship than that. You have been given the citizenship of the kingdom. That means that you are friends of the citizens of the kingdom. right? We share that together. That should be more uniting than anything that could divide us. He says you are also members of God's household. That means brothers and sisters. And, the, and God's house is built upon this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
the authority of Scripture, the teaching of the Gospels. But he says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And the way they would have built houses back then, they had a cornerstone, and it was the one true stone. So everything about it was perfect. And as long as they continued to to build the, the walls connected to that stone, the walls would be true. They'd be straight. They'd go up straight. They wouldn't lean That's how it would work. But if you took that stone away, the walls crumbled and fell and twisted. It was chaos. It's the same in God's household. If this is your Jesus, then you can count on the fact that we will experience God building this house on the foundation of the beauty of Christ. But if you take Christ out of the way, the church is going to be a nightmare. I can promise you that. He is our hope. And the last thing he says is that in him the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built into this temple. As we come today to this table, the question that that I know this passage asks of me, and I hope it asks of you as well, is that, is this my Jesus? Right? Have Have I taken what I thought was the true Jesus and I tweaked and reduced and sort of stripped Him of His power and in doing so elevated my worth I wasn't really dead in my trespasses and sin. I just, I, I, I'm actually have far better ideas than Jesus does. But I do want to get forgiven and go to heaven. So we'll just balance this out. And you recognize that it's that old lie that goes all the way back to the garden that I can be like God and I want to be like God in my life. But, but we all want to be like God in each other's lives too. And we come to this place today and we announce that we are not God. And there is so much freedom in that. Because you were not created to be God. You were created to bear His image. To experience His love. To enjoy His mercy. And to extend His grace. So today, I ask us, is this the Jesus that we know? Because if He is our rescuer, if He is our forgiver, if He is our leader, if He is our lover, if He is our Lord, and we recognize that that He has raised us up so that we could lay down our dead ideology, our dead works, our dead faith, and we can pick up this new life that He has made us for then we can begin to taste and see to experience what it is not to be a building or an organization, but to be the very temple and presence of God. To extend real hope to the world. Because it's not our peace. It's Jesus. He is our peace. He is our life. He is our hope. Right? That's what we got. Yes, I pray we make budget, but what's more important than budget and anything else is that we get Jesus right.
And when we do, he is more beautiful and more worthy and more glorious than we have ever seen him before. So today we come to this temple, table, not temple. You're the temple. To this body and blood, the symbol of bread and wine that points to the sacrifice of Christ. And what I'd like to do as the worship team comes, I'd like you to to take some time today. And and to take some time allowing the Holy Spirit to really search your heart. To meditate upon His love, His grace, His kindness that He's shown you. To think about our own unworthiness and our helplessness, and yet God, full of mercy and love, didn't just come down to rescue us, but he gave himself up to rescue us. When we gather together today, we gather together to worship him because he has been a good God to us. Would you pray with me? In the moments that we have together, I just encourage you to to quiet your heart as the band plays a little bit, as you think about the bread and the wine and think about your own soul and your heart and your mind, would you ask the Holy Spirit to come and to search you, to pray this prayer with me of of inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you come today and search our hearts? Would you reveal in us, God, where we have forgotten all that Christ is? Would you show and shine a light, God, on where we have tried to earn or become our own saviors? Would you empower us to repent from death, from dead ideas and dead thoughts and dead works and desires? Would we experience this beautiful consequence of your salvation? That we are your citizens. That we are your sons and daughters that we are your temple. So come, Holy Spirit, and fill your temple today. As you spend some time in contemplation, there will be people at the prayer doors. The table will be open in a few minutes. Allie will lead us. But just take this time to let the Holy Spirit search you and to move you in the worship of Jesus. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.